The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. It is episode number 74 of our weekly Cleveland sports podcast. I'm Tom Valentino. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Travis Uli. Trav, you were a traveling man over the weekend. Florida, right? I was, yeah. Um, I was down at the uh, southernmost point of the United States in Key West for a uh, wedding. Not a that bad place warm. to go. It was fantastic. Solid 90 degrees pretty much every day. Um, nonstop sun. It was okay. I'm not complaining. I would gladly sign up for that, but uh, we're uh, we're glad to have you back uh, up here in Cleveland because uh, uh, you got back just in time to see the Cavs go up three one in the Eastern Conference Finals on uh, the Boston Celtics. You know we uh, had things looking a little bit shaky there last night, but an epic performance by uh, Kyrie Irving as the Cavs back in the driver's seat. Uh, I was there, and uh, really, I got to say, one of the greatest individual performances I think I've ever seen in person. Yeah, I think it's kind of hard to imagine a better one. I mean, there's, if if you're a Cleveland fan, there's probably only a handful that even register, honestly, especially at our age. Yeah. By a couple we could point to. Obviously, the easy one's going to be the uh, LeBron Pistons game from, uh, what, 07? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get into all that. Let's, uh, yeah. let's bring our guest in. Uh, you know, we got a lot to cover tonight um, between Kyrie's uh, big night uh, in game four, and then the uh, the series overall. So uh, to help us uh, get through all of it, we got uh, Justin Rowan back on the show. Justin writes for Fear the Sword. It's uh, one of our favorite sites for Cavs coverage. And he also now hosts the uh, the Chase Down podcast. Justin, welcome back to The Nail. No problem. Thanks for having me back, guys. Excited to be here. Yeah. So, all right. So the, the, the podcast you're doing now with uh, my fellow OU alum, Carter uh, Rodriguez. You guys have been doing this now for what, about uh, two months? Yeah, about that. Um... I think we just put up our seventeenth uh, episode. Um, we're we're having a lot of fun doing it. Um, I, I was really glad to get back into the podcast game, and uh, couldn't ask for a better co-host than Carter. Just never, never tell him that I said that. <laughs> well, your secret's safe with uh, me and Travis and uh, our our dozens and dozens of listeners here. So, and not to sell Justin Short as an individual person with with an actual name. <laughs> but there's a 99% chance you just know him as at Cavs Anada. It's very, very possible. Okay. The brand is strong for you. I will, uh, I will <laughs> give him that plug right up front. Yeah, might as well. Might as well jump right into it. Well, we're going to, I'll keep the plugs going. Uh, if you have not checked out uh, Justin and Carter on the chase down, I would highly recommend that you go do that. Uh, after you get done listening to us, uh, they're on uh, iTunes, Google play and Stitcher. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, you can uh, check us out on there. Um, we we do a show every Tuesday, but during the playoffs, we're also doing a, a lot of post-game pods and stuff. Um, so if you want to check it out, be sure to subscribe. And uh, if you really feel passionate about it, leave us a review because that's uh, super helpful for helping out people find the show and supporting the show. Yeah, sounds good. Um, all right. Well, I, uh, I enjoy your podcast with Carter and, uh, other things I enjoy the, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers and Kyrie Irving. Let's, uh, let's get into it. I know just from, uh, I was listening back to a little bit from uh, the last time we had you on, and I know, uh, you are always a big, uh, Kyrie fan as well. Where does that performance 
rank in his career? I, I know he's still a young guy. He's only 25, but I mean, he's put together quite the resume and uh, that, that that's uh, as good as any night I can remember for him. There's a few nights that stand out. Obviously his big game against the Spurs was uh, a real statement win because earlier that year he had his big game against the Trailblazers where he hit a game winner without LeBron. But then to go off for a career high and a Cavaliers franchise high against the Spurs, uh, especially in the manner that he did, it really stood out. I still say the best Kyrie game is probably game five of the finals, um, just because of the stakes and the fact that they needed absolutely every one of his 41 points. And he was just hitting tough shot after tough shot over Klay Thompson. Uh, But this one's right up there. It's got to be one of his top two, three games um in his career just because of the stakes because once again this was a situation where the Cavs really needed him uh after LeBron picked up his fourth foul Kyrie goes on a a spree of 33 points on 13 of 16 shooting uh which helped the Cavs get back into striking distance before LeBron checked in and then helped them ultimately establish the lead that they held on to yeah no I was just gonna say you know I I I got to tell you, it was a, a weird night in the building there last night. The The vibe was not good at all, and just from the from the jump. But <laughs> I, no, I was just I was thinking about it because I was at game five against the Raptors last year when that series was 2-2 coming in. And I can remember just how up everybody was and how excited. And I don't know if it was just because it was a Tuesday or if people were just a little bummed out that, you know, they maybe had bought tickets thinking that uh, they might be coming to to see the Cavs finish off a sweep and that wasn't going to be the case but um I, I know I can say that yeah, you know, I'm speaking for from personal experience there yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about the other 20,561 in there but uh that might have been the case for me but um you know it was it was just strange and and especially when uh, LeBron went to the bench uh I texted a couple of my buddies I said you know, we're we're kind of teetering here. This this very easily could get out of hand in a hurry. Um, Trav, let me ask you. You know, I don't think even with a loss necessarily, um, the Cavs would have been in any kind of serious trouble in this series. But um, the flip side of that is, I, I kind of feel like if Kyrie doesn't, you know, go nuts there, um. You know, we're we're staring down the barrel at two two, and and I think it would be fair to say that Cavs would have been creating a whole lot of extra work for themselves in this series than they needed to to be dealing with. It's kind of funny, actually. After the game, Kyrie was saying, um, he mentioned, you know, could be looking at the series being tied up at two two, and going back to Boston, and he said, and you know, almost kind of being down in the or kind of being you know down in the series, and it's like. Well, at that point, it's not kind of. You actually are down in the series, but it kind of resonated that I'm not sure he meant it this way and he probably didn't want to get out, but it, to me it felt like they still wouldn't have really felt like they were in danger and they still would think they're better than the Celt- or better than the Celtics. So um, it was kind of a funny little slip-up, I thought. But I'm with you. The way that um, it was Harry there, and I texted you a little bit, obviously, in the first half. Um but back to what we've already said, not to go back too far, but one of those games where, and I said this to you uh, when the second half started, Kyrie finished so damn strong in the first half and he came out um, the second half and LeBron was back in and he was being a little more aggressive and stuff. And I said, 
it's good to see LeBron being aggressive, but Kyrie's <laughs> got the hot hand and I don't want, um, and I, I kind of want them to keep going through him for now. And kind of right as I said that, Kyrie went on that crazy run and all of a sudden it was a tie game. So, um, yeah, one of those one of those games that we've seen a couple times out of him that he has that switch to turn on, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm with Justin. Probably, I'm going to say his second biggest game, probably bigger than San Antonio game just because San Antonio game was a regular season game that in the grand scheme didn't actually matter for anything, while tonight or last night could have been very significant. Mm-hmm. And we probably should mention game seven too. I mean, he was no slouch in, in the finals and, and hitting a championship winning shot. Um, man, I, I like you think of these explosive performances from Kyrie, but obviously that was also just a, an absolutely massive game and moment. But in terms of complete games, I, I probably agree that um, this was his second most impressive performance. All right, so Justin, you know, we, Travis just alluded to it with, you know, LeBron kind of gotten thrown off again in the first half with the foul trouble and came out and, uh, you know, started getting a, a, a little bit more aggressive. He started attacking the rim, I felt like, a little bit more in the second half. But um, what did you think of the way the Cavs uh, just kind of approached things offensively in the second half of that game? Because, I mean, it was really a, a two-man show with, with both of those guys. There was more assertiveness I found from everyone. Like there were still the mental errors. Um, J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert in particular, um, they had quite a few miscues and, and poor shots and, and decision making uh, throughout that stretch. But um, overall, uh, the team was playing with more pace. Uh, they were more aggressive. Uh, Kevin Love, uh, who we haven't talked about yet, played a fantastic game. Um, and, and really made his impact felt because Tristan Thompson had a, a rare quiet night against the Celtics, uh, wasn't really getting the offensive rebounds, but Love uh, contributes 17 points, 17 rebounds, five assists, pair of blocks, and a steal. Um, and a lot of those came in important uh, during an important stretch uh, and was really picking up the slack there uh, for Thompson. So um, everyone played with more assertiveness. Uh, LeBron started to get going a little bit, uh, and I think Kyrie was uh, cognizant of needing to get LeBron going, especially on that uh, fast break where he dished it off to LeBron. Just little things like that helped build confidence. And, uh, of course, today it came out uh, that, or Richard Jefferson let it be known, that uh, LeBron's been playing while being sick uh, this the, for the past two games, which would explain some of his uh, or his lethargic approach to the game. Um, but I, I thought overall they played um, with more decisiveness and, and really kind of made their, their presence known and, and felt in the game. Yeah, and I think it's funny you mentioned um, the Tristan Thompson. I mean, he, I think he only had like three or four rebounds. Um, but I think the way that um, Boston was, they seemed to almost be doubling him <laughs> um, on shots in a very... I don't know, almost in a way you sort of see like a shooter at the perimeter, um, which obviously left Kevin loved tons of opportunities to clean up down there. So I don't think the two are completely unrelated. I'm not even going to necessarily say that Tristan had a, an off night. Um, he just the way that they were sort of trying to negate him on the glass gave Kevin a ton of opportunities. And obviously they he took advantage of all of them. Yeah, Trev, I would agree with you. Um 
on, on that and just in terms of the attention that he has to get uh the game you didn't see much of game three did you uh i did not see a second of game three okay actually it was so it's, it's your fault <laughs> <laughs> well no because they were up 21 when i wasn't watching too so <laughs> No, but it's, uh, you know, the thing is, you know, is it, Tristan, I, I think a lot of the attention that um, might have been paid to him last night could have been, uh, you know, a reflection of game three. He he had a monster night on, on Sunday night in, in game three. Um, shot really well from the free throw line, too, which was a added bonus, I, I thought, but um, yeah, very active on the glass and... Um, yeah, Justin, it just, it was kind of one of the things that I think Travis and I talked about. Um, and I think you and Carter had, had mentioned on your podcast as well, just coming into the series, the Cavs just have uh, such an advantage over Boston, uh, on the glass. And, and I think if you're the Celtics trying to, you know, get back into this thing and, and, and pull an upset, um, that's just, that really puts it at an uphill battle for you in terms of just limiting your opportunities. Is that uh, something that you uh, agree it's kind of played out that way as the series has unfolded? It definitely has. Um, With LeBron being as lethargic as he has the last two games, it kind of has negated some of that advantage to an extent uh, because the strength of the Cavs uh, rebounding really comes from all three front court uh, members. Like having the trio of Love, Thompson, and James um as as you guys mentioned like Tristan the amount of attention that uh Tristan drew created opportunities for love but typically you have more than just one guy capitalizing on it and I thought that was a good point by Travis there um but uh, when LeBron isn't really crashing that hard and he's settling for jumpers and he's not really pounding in the paint that kind of lets Boston off the hook and I, I I thought they they got back towards that uh towards the end of game four. Um, but it's an area where the Cavs should dominate. Um, but that just hasn't consistently been the case. Yeah, you've mentioned with with just LeBron kind of looking lethargic and looking off and, and whether, you know, I, I the illness certainly makes sense. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I think it's still fair to point out. I mean, yeah, he was he was bad on Sunday night. I mean, it, and it's it's okay to say that. I mean, he's had the run of a lifetime here, going back to the playoffs last year in the in the finals. But um, I mean, you're going to have a bad game now and then. But um, I, I think it's still worth pointing out that last night, even with the tough first half and the foul trouble, and you know, ended up probably shaving off about seven minutes from what he would normally play in a game. He still finished with. 34 points and I think he was like 15 to 27 from the floor so that's uh if if that's lethargic LeBron that's um (laughs) yeah Yeah, but by the end of the night he he had a a pretty damn good game and uh in the fourth quarter in particular he he really got it going the uh lethargic LeBron was probably game three in the first half of game four um but I mean lethargic LeBron still one of the best players in the league how much do you think Isaiah Thomas uh, coming out and, and Boston kind of rejiggering what they've been uh, doing um, through the Cavs off in this series? Because it kind of felt like that was like the turning point in game three. I know the Cavs didn't look completely sharp in the first half of, of game three, but they, uh, I mean, they still had a 20 point lead and, you know, things got away from them there in the second half of that game. And it still kind of seemed like they were, feeling things out and and um 
just how much did that play into it? And do you kind of feel like the Cavs maybe have figured out uh, Boston's adjustments at this point? Uh, I, I think it's really played into it. I, they've they've talked about it uh, a fair bit recently. Um, Tyron Lue even said that uh, handling the Celtics without Isaiah is tougher defensively than uh, the their game planning for the Warriors, um, which obviously is going to turn a lot of heads and stuff. But to some extent, it makes sense because Boston's moving the ball in uncharacteristic ways. It's not something that we've seen in the regular season. Uh, they're, they're running completely different plays, completely different sets. It has a different feel. And on the defensive end, you no longer have Isaiah Thomas that you can just target on every single play and get an easy basket, uh, either when the help defense comes or directly on them. Um, so it, it changed the complexion of the series. I don't think it's necessarily something that over an 82 game season, uh, Boston would be better without Isaiah Thomas. I think that would be ridiculous to suggest. Um, but in terms of a series where it really does boil down to matchups, that's, that's what playoff basketball is about. Um, it did kind of throw a wrench into the Cavs plans and, I don't know if they've necessarily figured it out. Um, I think there's still going to be some of the same defensive issues there um, because there isn't that focal point that you can key in on. And the Cavs defense all playoffs have been forcing other guys to make decisions and funneling the ball to a specific player uh, and trying to get it out of a primary initiator's hands. But when they're just playing strictly team ball and you can't selectively get a guy to take the same shots, it makes things a whole lot more difficult uh, for a Cavs defense that has obvious flaws. Hold that thought on the Cavs defensive strategy, because I want to come back to that in a minute. But just to um, one question I want to get out of the way here quickly. Trav, um, are are we in agreement that this series ends tomorrow night? I I mean, obviously there's no guarantees, but I'd be very, I'd be stunned if there's a game six. Yeah. Justin, are you, are you with us on that? Uh, yes, I am. And I'm also rooting for it for personal interests. As you may have seen on Twitter, I do have a uh, tattoo bet that I, I got to get a uh, Celtics tattoo if it goes to six. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> now, whoa, whoa, to be whoa. fair, it's just a crappy henna tattoo that was the bet, but I have to get it on my neck. Well, that doesn't count. It's <laughs> henna. That's, I that's, know. Well, it, it started off with a face tattoo, and then we we geared down by the end of it. All right. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I wanted to see if that was going to come up or not. I was uh, I, I was well aware of that, so I did not realize though that you had uh, negotiated down to uh, to uh, the. Wait, the, what's the, the other side of the bet? Oh, there is none. It was just me. That's not a bet. That's the opposite of a bet. Then, in a bet, you have something to win. <laughs> Well, it, it was just strictly me um, being very confident that this wasn't going six games. Fair enough. Uh, uh, for the sake of hubris, I'm pulling for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, getting back to the defensive strategy, the, the, where I wanted to go with this, um, I know the Warriors are uh, sitting back kind of waiting now. Um, you know, do you how much of what the Cavs have done defensively do you feel like can translate into a series with Golden State? Because I I have my concerns. Um, not a ton. Uh, at least not a lot from defending Boston without Isaiah Thomas. 
Um, I think we're going to see a lot similar to what uh, the Cavs did against the Raptors. Although, when you look at last year's finals, they basically implemented a completely different defensive scheme. And I'm going to assume that they're going to do a lot of the same. I still think LeBron is going to spend a lot of time on Draymond. um, Because if he can limit Draymond, that's going to limit the looks that Steph Curry and Klay Thompson get. Because they get a lot of their best looks and they generate a lot of offense off of Draymond driving kicking. Um, I think they're going to live with Kevin Durant getting his in the interest of stalling out the offense. Because when the Warriors have struggled, it's when Durant does too much one-on-one. And, I mean, truth be told, you put Kawhi Leonard on him and he's still going to give you an efficient 30. So if you can make him work a little bit, I I think Tristan Thompson's going to see time on him. I think Richard Jefferson's going to see time on him. Uh, Obviously, LeBron will as well. Um, But I think they're going to let his him get his in the interest of limiting everybody else. Can I, can I take a step back? You just mentioned Richard Jefferson. And do we think that his number, like he's been kind of non-existent this series. And I know a lot of that is matchups, which is why we haven't really seen any Channing Fry. Um, personally, I think Jefferson's going to be a big factor in the next series. Yep. And they might just be saving him because he's old. Is there, I is think there they some validity there? Okay, just want to make sure I'm not crazy. I, I know that some guys don't get out there just because it doesn't make sense, but for him, I think it's 100%. Yeah, I think it's fully rest. They, they are expecting him to play a role against Durant. And, like, playing him now even is a bit of a waste because you, you want him to, like, lock down on somebody and, and really make them work and be a nuisance. But who on Boston even warrants that? Like, okay, is he just going to just kind of float there and play base defense against Jake Crowder? And that's 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 the issue the the Cavs are going through right now. They've even talked about it how their trapping defense kind of forced them to be engaged on the defensive end, and and you saw them play really high level elite defense. Now that it's just base defenses and, and overhelping and stuff like that, they've gone right back to the regular season defense where it, it isn't tailored to what the Celtics do offensively, and I think that's a big reason why we've seen so much of a drop off here. I also heard a really funny name today. Um, and if you told me this a year ago, I'd say you're insane. But on the radio, they, uh, Windhorse was on, and he mentioned a guy that he thinks could give, could be like the X Factor and give the Cavs big issues next series as JaVale McGee. JaVale? Does anyone agree with that? Uh, not really. Okay. <laughs> He had solid reasoning behind it, basically that, you know, if if Golden State can move the ball like Boston is doing, JaVale can finish at the basket a little better than anyone on Boston can, which, okay, I guess there's a little validity to that, but if I, don't, I don't think you're, he's you're not, you're not going to lose. Right. I don't think he's particularly better than that, than Bogut or Festus was last year. Yeah, that's fair. That's I, valid. I have to imagine if you're the Cavs, any possessions that are ending with the ball in JaVale McGee's hands are going to feel like a victory. So, Definitely. Um, <laughs> I, and the more that the Warriors have a traditional center on the court, the more you can play Kevin Love because he's going to match up against those centers and, and Tristan's going to play Draymond or, or some minutes on uh, Durant. But uh, the more minutes either Zaza or JaVale McGee are out there, 
those are minutes that the Cavs should win. It's when they go really small that it, there's going to be issues. Uh, the, that's one of the biggest advantages that the Cavs have is they almost force the Warriors to go in the small ball lineup to get love off the floor. But if LeBron's going to play 43, 44 minutes a game, that all of a sudden means Steph Curry and Durant have to go from playing 31 minutes a game to either playing a lot more or staggering. Because if they stagger, those are minutes the Cavs should win, like every time. Um, because the the Warriors have an advantage when all four of their stars are on the court. If they're staggering, the Cavs have to win those minutes because that's how they won last year. Yeah, that's the thing. Like nobody on Golden State's playing the the volume of minutes that LeBron's playing for the Cavs, and, and they're probably drop off if they do. They're not used to it, right? And I, I just I, I think that's going to be a a huge storyline um, as that series plays out. You know. Just let me ask you this. You know, the Warriors, with, with them wrapping up the, the West on Monday night, they basically got a three-day head start on the Cavs getting ready for the, the finals. Um, does does that extra rest at that point even make a difference? I mean, because, I mean, the Cavs are still going to basically have a week off and into the three extra days of prep make any sort of difference in your mind? Not really. Um. I'm I wasn't a big fan of the amount of rest that like I was a fan of the rest to an extent but uh when you look at game 1 against Boston as well as game 1 against Toronto there was definite rust there uh I think the Cavs have been looking ahead to the Warriors and they know what they're going to implement um all already so there there's obviously going to be practicing and drills for what they're going to do defensively, but I think they already have a pretty good idea of it because they've spent the the whole year focusing on that. Um, So avoiding some rust, uh, the Warriors, I mean, it's hard to imagine that they're going to come out sharp because they really haven't been tested at all. When, when you look at it, the teams that they played in the playoffs, like the actual players and rosters that were on the court, um, only Utah, I'd say, is better than what the Cavs played in Indiana. Like, the Blazers without Yusuf Nurkic, um, the, the Spurs without Kawhi and Parker, like, those are really bad teams. Those are really bad limited teams that didn't push them at all. So when you factor in no challenge at all, n- no practice in clutch um, or or crunch time minutes, and then nine days off, there might be an opportunity there for the Cavs to kind of swoop in and take that first game. I'm glad you mentioned the Pacers. Um, you know, we've kind of forgotten about them now because we're, we're two rounds past them. But I still am of the belief that had they played any of the other uh, top half of the, the seeds in the Eastern Conference, they could have given either Boston or Washington or, or Toronto, Toronto uh, fits just with Paul George alone. And I, I felt like uh, a lot of the talk about the Cavs being lackluster in that series was kind of unfair. I, I felt like for a seven seed, they they were a lot more dangerous than they had gotten credit for. They, they were playing at a high level, and I agree with you. I, I think they could have knocked off any of those teams, especially with how they were playing round one. I mean, Boston almost lost to Chicago. Yeah, that Shut was... <laughs> That's yeah. I was gonna say that's one that Trav and I have gone back and forth on a couple of times. I I think uh, we're we're kind of in agreement that had Rondo not broken his thumb, I I I'm not sure Chicago uh, doesn't get through that series. Um, 
I mean, they were up two nothing with both wins coming in Boston. So, um, you know that uh, that that's uh, over and done with now. But um, what, uh, what, Justin? What are you looking for out of the Cavs tomorrow night? Um, as they try to uh, put the Eastern Conference Finals to bed. Is there anything in particular you'd like to see out of them in terms of, uh, I guess, uh, really a, a final tune-up before uh, the real business begins next Thursday? Um, I guess execution focus. Um, I, I want to see them not settle offensively for isolation possessions. I'd like to see them move the ball. Um possibly get uh Cal Corver going he he hasn't really um contributed uh with scoring in, in some time so to to see him get going would be uh a welcome change um other than that uh if Kyrie can continue what he's done against Boston uh I think that would be really encouraging but because when you look at things uh he he struggled in the playoffs but at the same time uh, he was taking a lot of good looks, and it just kind of seemed like he, he couldn't get into a rhythm. Against the Celtics, he's been an absolute monster. Um, he's averaging 26.3 points per game, shooting 62.7% from the floor and 50% from three, which is really encouraging because nobody on Bo- or nobody on Golden State is better suited to defend him than Avery Bradley. Like, Avery Bradley is one of the best possible defenders for Kyrie in the league, so for him to go off in this way against a great defender bodes well for future success now obviously the warriors have supplemental help they they have better rim protection than boston has um but if he can keep this going and keep that positive momentum uh that's going to be absolutely huge for uh the finals yeah i i don't know that there's a whole lot i could i could see tomorrow that would really change my opinion going into the finals um we've seen them execute really well against Boston so we know they're capable of of doing it um but if they do end up playing a lot of iso ball and 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 still eke it out of game then so be it and you know I'll just cross my fingers and hope that it you know they look a little stronger when the finals start so I don't know that personally my opinion can change one way or another that much um yeah I'm not really going to go up or down too much no matter what I say I don't think mm-hmm all right, uh, Trev. Did you have any more questions for uh, for Justin here? Oh, you're killing it. Keep going, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, no, you know, I, I just the other thing I wanted to kind of say about Kyrie, um, just the way that he is uh, discussed and and viewed by the the NBA writing community and the NBA Twitter community. Um, it's just, it's always kind of struck me as odd. And I feel like he, at times his game gets picked apart in, in strange ways that other guys um, in similar positions would, would not. Uh, Justin, you know what I'm, what I'm saying there? Am, am I going, am I on the right track here? Do you, do you agree with me? Or Justin's got Twitter. He knows what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's something that not people beyond just Cavs fans have noticed it now. I, I think this year because um, before, I think a lot of it was still dismissed as oh valid. He he hasn't shown growth. Obviously, last uh, regular season uh, was a little more quiet for him coming off knee surgery. Um, but I even have people uh, from Warriors Twitter that'll DM me saying I, I'm basically Team Kyrie now. Like um, people go way too far with the criticism for him. 
Uh, and it, it's ridiculous. If Damian Lillard, Isaiah Thomas, John Wall, uh, Kyle Lowry, Kemba Walker, any of those guys went off for what Kyrie did yesterday, we'd have two or three days of fluff, like celebrating what they did. With Kyrie, it's automatically, okay, he's not that good. He's Mo Williams uh, 2.0. He's just held to a higher standard. He's held to a higher standard, and it's funny because um, not only is he held to a higher standard than his peers, he's two to three years younger than all his peers. Like, he's two years younger than John Wall. He's three years younger than Isaiah Thomas. And some of that comes with playing with LeBron one you're you're more help than lebron should need and lebron sucks because he needs all these super friends but at the same time you're all only you're just a role player and lebron makes you look good like the people go through mental gymnastics when it comes to lebron it's just something that happens um but at the end of the day and i tweeted this out like all that really separates kyrie from top tier point guards right now is consistency if he could play like he did in the Toronto series with his normal shooting splits, that's a top tier point guard. Like that's right up there with Steph Curry, uh, Chris Paul, all those guys. But the most important thing for the Cavs right now is that Kyrie is capable of outplaying any point guard in the league over a seven game series. He He's not at that top tier yet. He's young. He might still get there. He might become uh, a, a guy that can be a number one option on a contender. Uh, but right now he can play like that for a playoff series. And that's absolutely the most important thing. And he's one hell of a good player right now. As glowing as, as your comments were about him, I, I would say you, you still are more rational about Kyrie than I am. I, I will go ahead and, <laughs> and I, I'll flat out say it. I will take him over every point guard in the league. And I know maybe other guys have a better resume and, and it's completely irrational. Um, I'd, I'd rather care. ride with Kyrie. I'm, I'm with I, you. I'd rather ride with Kyrie because the way he does things and the way he steps up in big moments. Um, I, I It was funny. I had said after game two uh, of the finals, I was texting a buddy and I had said, all I want from this series is somehow for Kyrie to have a shot with the championship on the line and I will live with the results. And sure enough, Kyrie de- uh, delivered. Like I would easily take me down two with one second left. If Kyrie's getting that last shot, I would live with the result. I mean, it was, it was like moments like last night in that stretch from the second to the third quarter and into the fourth. And uh, especially when he, Sit, uh, Jay Crowder uh, tumbling into the the corner at the end of the game, just as a, a punctuation mark with that uh, fake behind the back. Uh, that's why, like, um, I'll, I'll drop a bunch of money on tickets to to go to playoff games is to see moments like that. I mean, those, that that's what it's about for us as fans is seeing a guy. You know, I mean, that was it. Very easily could have gotten away from them last night. Um, with everything kind of uh, unraveling there in the first half. And in, in past years, I think it would have. And, um, you know, they, they were down, I think, 10 when LeBron went to the bench and, and it got to 16. And he, uh, you know, he, he went on that run by himself to, I think, cut the deficit in half. And just the way he was getting to the rim, um, the way he's just fearlessly pulling up from the perimeter, you know, he gets to that spot in the right wing 
and starts just you know dribbling and and you could just see him setting up for it now it's that's his spot on the floor and um just so damn fun to watch yeah and i'll i'll obviously i, I sort of I probably fall right in the middle of the two of you still probably closer to the extreme side with tino um <laughs> but i will say this if he's not one of you know the elite very top tier point guards I'll maybe concede that. I don't know that there's a guy in the league I'd rather have with a big shot line. You kind of just sort of alluded to that, Justin. Um, As a closer, at his age, I don't know that anyone has proven what he has so far in his ability to uh, step up in big games, put on big performances, and, and more specifically hit big individual shots. Obviously, last year steps out, but that's not the first time either. He's done that pretty consistently. Um, so as far as that goes, I think, and I think that's sort of why he could be the perfect compliment for LeBron because LeBron is so damn consistently great that if Kyrie has, you know, an above average, but not great game, um, they're not screwed obviously um, right. as a team, but you still have that second option. And I'm not, I don't even know. Is Kyrie the second option for if if you have a big shot? Still, is that the case? Um, I, I does think it, I, does it maybe depend on the matchup a little bit? It depends on the matchup, and it also depends on what you need. Like if it's a tie game, uh, I can it's still see LeBron them going, going to the LeBron basket. driving to the basket because that's one of the most unstoppable things that there is. And you also count on him to make the right decision and, and find an open guy if that opportunity presents itself. Um, but I think if they need a three, you have to go to Kyrie. I don't know. I mean, game seven of the finals last year was a tie game in the final minute, and you saw who got the shot there. I mean, I, I sure. guess a couple of those possessions before that, LeBron had gotten looks in the paint, but, um, you know, there, there there's no fear on the on the Cavs bench to uh, to to call for him to, uh, to get a look. Um, and I think it's exciting. Just, I mean, like you're talking, he's only 25 and <laughs> just turned 25. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, it, it's mind boggling to me. And, you know, you can, it's incredible to me that LeBron is still as good as he is with, with where he's at in his career. Um, and it just, father time's undefeated and he's giving, you know, he he's putting up more of a fight than, I mean, maybe anybody we've ever seen, but I mean, there will come a day when LeBron is not invincible. Um, you, I, you could at least envision a scenario where where Kyrie takes the torch and and you know, kind of becomes um, the centerpiece on this team, right? I mean, do you agree oh, with for that? Sure. Kind of, I think I've been hearing that since last night. A bunch of people have been saying it. To me, it's hard to envision. You never see that with. I mean, think of the, the superstars of the last, you know, 20, 30 years until they their last day. They're the, the main guy. Um, I think from a marketing standpoint, that's always going to be the case. Was it was it not the case? I mean, Kobe was still the number one guy, right? Yep. Duncan, maybe not so much, but Kobe. And maybe that's just because Kobe. I was going to say, I, way, but different positions. But I, I think the. Uh... In terms of like uh, the way their 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 roles and their stature in the team, I I think 
San Antonio is really kind of a good um, uh, comparison in that, you know, I think Tim Duncan was still the the heart and soul of that team and kind of still viewed as like the, uh, the, the conscience, but by his last, and, and he was still great right up until uh, he hung him up. But um, by, by his last year, I think Kawhi had surpassed him as, as being, uh, you know, the, 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 the top option. I think one of the biggest compliments that Kyrie has received, and this was really recently too, LeBron was talking about how Kyrie is going to take the reins from him and sooner than people realize. Like, LeBron has full confidence that Kyrie can be that player, and I don't think he would just trust that to anybody. Like, I don't think LeBron has the confidence. Like, people say you can replace Kyrie with 10 or 12 different point guards. Like they love no doing that. Give but me, at the same time, come on. <laughs> Le- I don't think there's many or, or any others really that LeBron would fully entrust with the team. Like Kyrie has that mentality. And I, I, I think it speaks volumes to how good he is already at such a young age um, that he's in position where he can be the best player for a series. Like, I think at some point Kyrie is going to win a finals MVP. I don't know if it's going to be this year or down the road. I I don't know if it's going to be Kyrie as a lead option, but at some point in his career, uh, I'm fairly certain he's going to win a finals MVP. And I think the only other point guard that LeBron would look at similarly is Chris Paul. And obviously uh, Chris Paul quite a bit longer in the tooth than Kyrie. So as a long-term play, um, I don't know that there would ever be a point where LeBron could transition it to Chris Paul as sort of the number one guy, um, while the gap in age, obviously, with Kyrie makes it a lot more possible. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I can see him aging gracefully, kind of a la Tim Duncan. Like, I I don't think it's hard to imagine LeBron averaging, like, 15 points, 9 or 10 assists, and 5 rebounds a game. Like when he's thirty six or thirty seven, like he's probably still going to exceed that expectation. But it's it's not hard to imagine him kind of taking that backseat facilitating role, uh, while Kyrie is kind of the the straw that stirs the drink. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of funny. Kind of funny that you'd be looking at Kyrie or uh, LeBron as the facilitator and not the point guard. Oh, he's the best passer on the team. Like, yeah. Oh, just... I'm not. I'm not disputing it. It's just kind of, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's... those things. That it's always that's sort of the thing that people always hold against Kyrie. I think is that he doesn't he doesn't pile up assists like other guys and stuff like that. But that would um... happen with John Wall. That would happen with anybody because LeBron isn't going to concede having the ball in his hands to anybody. He's not going to play strictly off ball and run pick and roll. So John Wall can get his 10 11 assists a game he's the best player in the world he's maximized with the player in his with the ball in his hands and that's what makes Kyrie such a good fit because he can run the offense when you need it but he's also very confident playing off ball and remains aggressive uh even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands all game and he, i mean he he averaged nearly six assists a game like he averaged more assists per game than Damian Lillard, who has the ball in his hands all game. He's only a couple, like a fraction of an assist off of Isaiah Thomas, Kyle Lowry, those guys. Like he's a facilitator as well. Like he max, he is a, he he is a point guard when LeBron is off the court. Um, But 
even if he does average six assists a game, I, I think it's still going to be something people hold against him. No, I think it, it kind of plays into the bigger narrative of, I think, just the way the Cavs are perceived. It's just, I don't know, there's a certain, uh, um, you, you just kind of saw the way that uh, the, the NBA writing community kind of embraced the Hawks a couple years ago and uh, just <laughs> Golden State, um, just for the way they play. And I just think the, the Cavs in general, just the way they're constructed and the and the way they succeed is just a little bit unconventional. And it's just enough to like wrinkle people's noses um, if they're traditionalists. You know, it's not the point guard who's uh, dishing out you know twelve dimes a game, and and they're not uh, you know they're completely comfortable with winning uh, you know fifty one games in a regular season and 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 punting on the second night of back to backs, and um, you know something Trav and I talked about last week in terms of just some of the uh, the crap that I think Ty Lue gets unfairly at, at times is just because it's just not conventional, but um, it's okay. Cause it, it works for the Cavs. And, and once you understand that and you see that, you know, there's different ways to, to get to the end goal, it, it works. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have full confidence in, in this team and, and that includes Tyloo. Like um, it's their approach this season. And it seemed like something that he's agreed to with the players, with the front office. Everybody's been on board with the direction. Uh, I, the way P, the crap Tyloo gets is completely unfair. And um, uh, again, it, it's a symptom of having LeBron on the team. But I think it's fairly clear that he is a, a very, very good coach and and a young coach too. Um, I, I hope he's part of this organization for a long time as well as David Griffin. I, I hope they get that figured out because the two of them appear to have brought a level of stability that has been lacking from this franchise for some time now. I'm in a hundred percent agreement. And, you know, as despite whatever noise there is uh, outside, as long as everybody inside their four walls is on the same page, um, I'm, I'm totally fine with, with where they're going. I, I, I love everything that they've set up and, um, you know, I think uh, we, we could be in for a, a couple of fun weeks here um, starting next Thursday, but uh, hopefully the Cavs will uh, nail it down uh, tomorrow night and uh, send uh, the the, uh, the Celtics off to uh, the golf course for the summer. Anyone nervous about David Griffin right now? Yeah, I am a little bit, especially once the Bucks job opened up. Really? You know? Um. I'm I am just in 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 the sense that um I feel like there's absolutely no reason it should get to this point but the flip side of that is I I just look at the way some of their contract negotiations have played out with like the coaching staff in the past and and Ty Lue getting his extension and um it just it feels like they drag these things out more than they need to, and it yeah. causes a lot of unnecessary headaches. But in the end, the right result comes through, and that's just kind of what I'm banking on right now. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. Well, um, any other thoughts on uh, on uh, the Eastern Conference Finals or uh, the Cavs or or anything else uh, before we shut it down here, boys? Not particularly. I'm just 
honestly, my biggest fear going into this series was injuries, and they have avoided those so far, knock on wood. Obviously, there's one game to go, but um, no, I just hope they kind of take care of business, get their get their week off, and then we're looking for the big games next week. Exactly. That uh, sounds good to me. All right, well, Justin, uh, really appreciate you uh, uh, joining us again. This was a lot of fun. No problem. Thanks again for having me on. Yeah, man. Right. Thanks. Good stuff. You can uh, you can follow uh, you keep up with Justin on uh, Fear of the Sword and um, the Chase Down podcast. Um, as for us, subscribe to our show on iTunes and Google Play or uh, Stitcher, and you can stream all of our past episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com. And of course, go like our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash thenailpodcast. Uh, this morning, I shared a uh, column from The Vertical. That's the uh, Yahoo Sports basketball site on uh, Kyrie's per- big performance last night. Really good stuff there. So go check it out and give a like to our Facebook page while you're there. Uh, one more time, thanks to Justin Rowan. We will be back next week. And uh, barring a catastrophe, we're going to be uh, talking more uh, Cavs Warriors Part 3 in the NBA Finals. So for Trips Julie, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains, we'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.